I'm Chad Main, the founder of legal services company Precipient, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal innovation and legal technology. Today's episode, we talk to Mel Scott. She's a senior legal counsel for the tech company Megaport. She's also the host of the Council Podcast. Mel and I talk about using tech to scale a legal department and starting by using tools your company or legal department already have. This episode covers a topic I've been wanting to cover for a while. Scaling a legal department through the use of tech and innovation, but starting with the tools a company or the legal department is already using every day. I think the features that the software we use day in and day out are very underutilized and a lot of times just overlooked. Today's episode is a great conversation with Mel Scott. She's senior legal counsel for the tech company Megaport and also the host of an excellent podcast called Counsel. Mel's podcast focuses on the work of in-house counsel, both on a professional legal level, but also on a personal level. I highly recommend you check it out if you're corporate counsel, you want to land an in-house job, or just in the market for a good legal podcast. Mel and I talk about her career trajectory from law firm lawyer to in-house counsel and how she and her colleagues are scaling their legal department as their company grows. She explains how they started changing the way the legal team did business by using existing tools the company was already using, but also by then going to the next level by bringing in legal tech to address specific process challenges. In Megaport's case, it was bringing in the contract management software, Ironclad. As a side note, I talked to Ironclad's founder, Jason Baymig, in episode 12, if you want to check that out. All right, let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Mel Scott. Now, you always start your podcasts with the question, it's generally something the effect you know, someone gives you a credit card with no limit. Where do you go? What do you do with it? So I'm going to change that a little bit. You've got a friend that has a private plane. They're going to loan it to you for a weekend. Where do you go? Who do you take? What do you do? Oh, I love this. (laughs) Well, I take my unlimited credit card. That's for sure. (laughs) That's going to be helpful. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I'm going to go up to North Queensland and pick up all my family uh, and then we're going to head out to a beautiful secluded island in the Whit Sundays, maybe uh, Whitehaven Beach. If you've never heard of it, you've got to Google that. And we're just going to have an epic party on the beach, catching up. I love it. I love it, especially in the middle of winter. I love, I love all of it. I do like the way that you start your podcast with a question like that. It's really cool because most podcasts, business related, they just jump right into it and talk about whatever the topic is. So I always like that you do that. Yeah, it just gives you a sense of the person. Exactly, exactly. Speaking of podcasts, it's called Counsel, and I love it. It talks, you know, it's geared towards in-house counsel, and that's the focus. But it talks about a lot of other stuff like, you know, mental health, wellness, Mm -hmm. things like that. What was the motivation for you to to start the podcast? You're corporate counsel at Megaport, but what was it that got to you and said, hey, I want to do a podcast? Yeah, that's such a good question. I saw such a blank space, to be honest. And when I was searching for podcasts for inspiration and just to create a bit of community and to get a sense of how others around the world going about their day-to-day lives as in-house counsel, I couldn't find that. So I thought, well, you know, that's the ultimate moment for me to go, well, I need to do it. So (laughs) yeah, basically it was that wide open space and the thing that keeps me going and that that core why is to be the resource that I wish I had when I was making a transition from private practice to in-house because I felt very alone and I I didn't really know what I was doing. 
And the only person I could find who was creating content was the wonderful Sterling Miller, who I know you've you've also had on your podcast. And he he truly is the you know he wrote the book, <laughs> and he was such literally. such a he literally, wealth. He literally wrote he literally the book. Wrote, <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> And um, yeah, I just wanted to take a modern take on that and put the the podcast to it because I love the medium personally, and I love sharing stories and and people sharing. I think brings us together, and we feel less alone in our particular struggles that that may feel particular to us, but they're not really. That's what I'm learning. Everyone's kind of doing the same thing and struggling with the same things. So sharing is is so powerful, and I love to have a space for people to do that. Let's talk about that. You're in-house now at a company called Megaport, and I want to talk about your path to going in-house, but let's start with Megaport. What is it? So Megaport is a global technology company. We are based here in Brisbane, Australia, but we operate in 24 countries around the world, including the US, where we've got quite a, a large staff. And we are a network as a service product. It's a cloud computing play. It's very disruptive. When we launched in 2015, it was first mover advantage. Our software-defined network overlays to a network of, I guess, computers, data centers, and, and interconnections around the world between data centers and cloud service providers. And it allows you to scale up and down, send your data where you need to, provision, self-service, and have those services in 59 seconds or less. So it was quite a game changer. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild ride. It lets you connect not only your network, but different cloud services. So if you have data on AWS and something else on Microsoft Azure, you can connect both. Megaport lets you do that, right? Absolutely. Yes. And I saw you started, and you've already alluded to it, you started in private practice at a law firm. And then you went and worked for an airport authority. And then you you get into Megaport. Tell us about the path. Why did you make the jump from law firm to in-house counsel? It was pretty typical, I think, of you know, a, a, a kind of a certain type of law student who follows the path that they're told that they should follow and go to a big commercial law firm in the city. And I, I got that experience. I'm in there, I'm learning, and I get an opportunity to go on secondment to uh, to a client, a financial services client. And that was my first taste of in-house. I didn't even know what in-house was and I loved it. I could focus on one client. I didn't have to build my time in six-minute blocks and I thought that was quite revolutionary. And I was not surrounded by lawyers all the time. And as much as I love my colleagues, I also really do love working with people who are, who are not lawyers, you know, marketers, sales professionals, now, you know, software engineers and other professionals who were doing things and think differently to me. So that was the taste of in-house life. Went back to the firm and continued for another year, but I was starting to understand what I needed to do to transition into a junior legal counsel role and how I could craft myself into being the ideal candidate. So I think I was you know, I had, I did have trouble coming back to firm life because I had seen the other side as such, and I was, I was hooked. So I made that transition to uh, the airport, as as you said, and that was my first in-house job, and an incredible base it was because the breadth of subject matter at an airport is just 
incredible, more than you could ever expect. There's the obvious aviation infrastructure, construction, but there's leasing, there's property, there's disputes, there's the corporate commercial, you know, there's sewerage and road access and maintenance. And, you know, it just goes on and on. It was it was truly, um, yeah, a, a wonderful way to learn. And at some point, I was craving a different experience and something that was at the other end of the the scale in terms of I couldn't have actually found something more different to the airport. I'm working for a global organisation that's tech, that's dynamic startup listed uh, on the Australian Stock Exchange and very dynamic and very fast moving. So completely different experience, different industry. Made the uh, the transition over to Megaport and that was three and a half years ago now. You know, I was listening to a few of your episodes over the last few weeks of your podcast council and you said something interesting, one of them. I don't remember the specific episode but I think, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, so if I'm, I say it wrong, tell me. To one of your guests, you said you got some bad advice, or maybe not the best advice you could have gotten. It was don't go in-house right away. Hmm. Um, am I saying that right? Is yeah. It, and yeah, wh- why that, is that? Why, it. why do you feel that? Because I think normally people say go work at a law firm and then go in-house. Don't, you can't go in right away. Why do you think that maybe that's not – it doesn't have to be that way? Yeah, so the specific piece of advice was that I was too young to transition from private practice to in-house in in my uh my post-admission experience was about 3 years and that person was like, "Oof, oh, I don't know. You know, you're really not going to have your that kind of foundational learning complete yet." And they advised against it. And they were doing so from a place of uh, you know, genuine care and and wanting me to be successful. But there was also a part of me that looked at this individual and said, well, you haven't, you haven't done anything outside of your private practice experience. And that's fantastic for you. And that's not a problem. But from what I know of your career, it's been very linear and very safe. So I might try the path less traveled here and I can always come back. And I certainly have not looked back. <laughs> so, and, and now I say to to early career lawyers and law students that it is not a prerequisite. And this is a trend that I've seen in the last five years or so where big in-house teams do have the capacity to take on graduates and to provide structure and training that, you know, mentoring that is fantastic. And in some cases, even rivals that that you get at a law firm where, you know, the partners and the senior associates are so busy and it's hard to get their time. As you and I spoke a couple of weeks ago to prepare for this, I want to talk about a couple of things. Obviously, it's a legal tech facing podcast. And I want to talk about your experience because the cool thing about what you've done at Megaport is you basically, you've scaled and you are scaling the legal departments. So many people that I've talked to on the podcast are at big organizations, and they're not—they're already at scale, but they've got to try to, you know, move the beast around and try to make efficiencies to get the legal work done and convince people to to buy in and make the change. But you're in a unique position at a, at a growing company that where you can you can kind of start from scratch. And one of the things we talked about, I think, is overlooked is. Before you go out and buy that legal tech and try to you know change the workflow for legal, there's a lot of tools we have in our everyday lives and our everyday workday that we're using that that can be used and tweaked to handle legal work. And that's some of the stuff you did. I know specifically one of the things you did is you used Jira, which is a project management app, to handle 
some of the legal work and, and get your client requests done. Tell us what you did there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and credit goes to my general counsel, Anna Tichborn, who was really the, the person who was leading this in the year that I, I before I joined. But what she saw was an opportunity to leverage an existing piece of tech that other parts of the business were using. And for us, that was the Atlassian products, Jira and uh, Confluence in particular. Australian. So, also Australian. Also Australian, yes. we should point out. We're very proud, our, our first tech unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fantastic guys and, um, and very well respected in the community here. Uh, but we did use Jira and we leveraged that as matter management for our, our legal workflows. And it has scaled with the business for the first five years. And, you know, we're now at that point where we, we're looking elsewhere. But for quite a long time, we've been able to really make a good go of, of using an existing platform. Uh, so that's obviously had a cost saving. But we've also, we've got, there's no friction when people want to engage with the legal team because they're very used to working with JIRA for other parts of the business. The marketing team is on there. Obviously, our, you know, our software team and our tech team, our product team are on JIRA as well. So we can collaborate amongst each other with different tickets uh, across projects. So it's worked very, very seamlessly there. And the, the great thing for us was that there's a transparency to each ticket, to each workflow, I suppose, so that you've got everything in one spot. The whole conversation of the the matter is there. If someone's on leave, someone else can pick it up and, and run with it. You've got version control with your documents and and also you've got some great data that you can pull out on dashboards and, and use that data effectively to, to influence certain decisions. So we have absolutely loved working with Jira. The the downfall really for us and for a scalability point of view, we've really hit that spot now, that roadblock, is at the back end in the contract management, contract repository, and then pulling data from your contracts. That's not something that that system is set up for, but the almost end-to-end, it's really, really fantastic. And, and we've made a good uh, a good goal of it for some time. So Jira is awesome. And, and Confluence has been fantastic knowledge base database of of knowledge of um, you use that for yeah. your facts your absolutely FAQs, right? we do yeah i mean that's a example of a low-tech innovation really uh almost no tech you know i started a frequently asked questions page on confluence because the legal team is often asked the same thing multiple times and for a growing company when new people are being onboarded you know can be up to <laughs> like double digits in a week I can't get to them all like I used to, to say hello and and welcome them and explain the legal team. And we've had to be a little craftier about how we onboard uh, our our little piece of of the Megaport experience for new starters. And Confluence has been a great way to have the questions there that are asked often. And I've got a list of 30-something now and it grows. You know, it's constantly adding one... uh, someone asks me something more than once, I'm thinking, well, that's a frequently asked question now. So we put it on. And uh, yeah, we, we iterate over time, but it's, it's a great place for source of truth. And where did you start? Sounds like you there and the legal team decided, all right, we need to streamline things, be more efficient, try to bring some tech in. Was that a conversation you had to try to make a roadmap? Or wh- where did you start even with the existing tools and making a plan to bring in tech into the the legal department? I think it just happened very organically. You know, the DNA of the company from the very beginning was to be 
modern and to be agile and to have tech as a a way to enhance the way that we did work. So, you know, from the beginning, we've, we've had Slack in the company. We've had these Atlassian tools from the beginning and, and that investment in those resources was was almost from day one. So it's it's the DNA of, of the company and the people that work at Megaport, which makes a huge difference. It hasn't been a matter of looking ahead and planning how we would integrate tech until very recently, but for the longest time, it was just, that'll do, let's try it. And it works and we we keep going. You bring up something interesting there. I'm assuming that you didn't have to convince any people within your organization outside of legal to okay using Confluence for your FAQs because you're you know you're 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 a nimble company. Yep. If if a counterpart of yours at a bigger company, at a Fortune 500 company, whatever it is, said, "Hey, we want to we want to build an FAQ site, kind of self serve," they'd have to jump through a few hoops. Has it been your experience because you're a smaller yeah. tech company that you're more agile and you don't need there, there's less pushback of the change on the the changes you're trying to make? Yeah, absolutely. That is spot on. It's been we've been proactive and and saying to the business, okay, this is what we're doing now. We're using Jira or we've got an Adobe sign now or whatever it is. And they just go, okay, great. Thanks. And and they pick it up and they integrate it. And there's I haven't encountered any resistance to the legal team trying to be more nimble and agile and, and more efficient. It's been very encouraged from from the top down. Was there any other off-the-shelf, non-legal tech stuff that you brought into the legal department that you started using to handle legal tasks? Look, we've used Slack uh, to have a very general legal Slack channel for queries and to meet the business where they are because they do love Slack. And uh, I know some teams would be worried about confidentiality perhaps or or delving deep into issues in such an informal manner. But I, I found that that's been a really great way to yeah, meet meet the people where they are. And if you need to take it off Slack and, you know, get its own Jira ticket and, and get a particular workflow going for but but just for that kind of to and fro, hey Mel, I was thinking about this. What do you think about that? Slack's been really awesome. And it does keep a record. So, you know, it can be um right. can be helpful there. And of course, you know, we have uh we we use Microsoft Word, uh, but we also have the G Suite available. So docs and and sheets, et cetera. I mean, that's pretty pretty standard, I would suspect. But that you can do a lot in those uh, in those tools. That's for sure. After the break, Mel talks about going to the next level, bringing in specific legal tech tools. In Megaport's case, Ironclad. This podcast is brought to you by Percipient, a legal services company powered by technology. Percipient helps legal teams tackle legal operations, electronic document review, and process automation. Percipient services include managed document review, subpoena compliance, cyber incident response, and also helps legal teams provide clients with process-driven legal support. To learn more, visit percipient.co. Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. We'll get back to my conversation with Mel Scott in just a second, but before we do... I wanted to let you know that for every episode of Technically Legal, we include a dedicated episode page at tlpodcast.com. I have links to more information about our guests and links to more information about all the stuff we talk about. Also, if you want to subscribe, you can find us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like us enough, I hope you do us a favor and give us a favorable review. 
If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at precipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at precipient.co. Or catch me on LinkedIn or Twitter. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Mel Scott. You said just a minute ago that you love Jira, you're still using Jira, but for contract management, the back end wasn't going to work. So you've come to this point where you actually need to start looking at legal technology, products made for legal. How did you prioritize there? Obviously, you started talking about it. We need to bring in some legal-facing stuff. I think you're moving to Ironclad for your contract management. How did you prioritize what you're doing, and how did you come to choose the products you did? Look, again, it was it was led by the business and the questions that we were getting and the frustrations that our colleagues were having in understanding just the, the basics of contract management. When's the end date? Is there an order of renew? Uh, the big one for us, actually, which comes up every reporting season, was uh, do we have the consent to use our customer's logo on on our website and in our annual report for the stock exchange? Every time that would come up. And we're here going, okay, well, the default for our sales contracts is yes, you do, but often that's negotiated out and we've got no central record of basically a list and we can't pull a list or a report of in and out. And that to me seemed like such a simple thing that we should be able to help our our colleagues with. And, you know, case by case basis, absolutely, I can pull out the contract and we can have a quick look, but that's just not scalable. So that was the key frustration that we were getting as an example from the business. And so we started, we started from there and we, you know, there has, it has been a process. It's been 12 month process of, of that vendor assessment, that stakeholder engagement. You know, we've had a legal project manager help us through this, which is quite the luxury and one that I'm so happy to have had, but also gives you a kind of an insight into how supportive the, the business continues to be in the legal team's efforts to to meet and to grow and to scale and to bring in tech. And we want to do a great job and we're not experts. So um, I, I've certainly become a lot more knowledgeable, but I've had a day job and my my capacity was not going to take on that extra role. So that was something um, that I would I would recommend to anyone if they can stretch the budget. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, we we started with the real frustration and worked from there. And when we were looking at vendors, we were starting at the back piece and with, you know, having demos, we would go, hey, show us what your contract repository looks like. Show us the data that we can pull on our contracts. How does it flow through? That's the piece we wanted. Not so much the automation and, and the, the other stuff that I've come to know is can be a real game changer for a lot of departments. What have you had to do as far as internally to get everybody on the same page and kind of tweak how they do their work? That is the piece ahead of me. There is, yeah, there's quite a body of training and communication to go out. So we have been keeping certain groups aware of where we're at, you know, executive team meetings, operation team meetings, but now it's time to go full company change management. Here's what's happening. Uh, and we kick off next week with an all staff, we kind of an all hands meeting. I have five minutes slot there to do a little bit of PR and get everyone excited because because uh, we are excited about what it's going to do for the business. And then we will go through that training process and some bespoke training for our frequent flyers. And then I think a little bit of handholding by me, to be honest, and, and working through any of the bugs that we'll have and iterate over the next quarter or so and 
I mean, it's never ending now. It's going to be one of those constant iterations and things that we manage to make sure that the workflows and, and the process work for, for everybody. But yeah, the bones are there and it's, it's time to get it out. So you've got the contract management uh, in the pipeline here. What's next? Is there other legal work that you're trying to bring in tech to handle? I think that this will do us for a little while. I think this <laughs> this is such a step change for for the legal team and for how everyone in the business interacts and engage with the legal team. Jira will go to read only. Our our kind of G Drive contracts register will go into archive and everyone will come through ironclad and I've created a, a specific workflow to help us with the matter management side as well. So we can do everything in their general advice, queries, you know, the contracts, all of it. And I can use permissions to keep things confidential from different parts or different groups of the business. So it's it's really going to be a one-stop shop. Uh, we will still use Confluence for that that data and that knowledge sharing. But I think we'll, we'll let this one sit for a while and no doubt there'll be another, right, what can we do next? What else can we streamline? But yeah, I can't think that far ahead right now. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the 12 months since you've started, if someone were to come to you today and say, hey, Mel, we're about to bring in XYZ product or contract management, whatever, whatever it is, what would you tell them? What have you learned that might help them, you know, give, give them a head start? about the process? Yeah, great question. I think like I'm still kind of in it. So to be really reflective is I'll be better. I'll be more poignant in a couple of months. But what comes to mind is if you can swing it to get a legal project manager to, you know, we've had an outside uh, consultant to to come to Annette and help us uh, to really lead that and to pull all of the strings together with the vendor, with internal stakeholders, with our IT team, who was a big part of it, and with the legal team. And that has been a crucial resource. So, you know, even helping with vendor selection, and she pulled together so much data and synthesized it and gave us kind of the top five that that hit everything that we wanted. And she did that first legwork with all of the demos and the the time saving there alone is phenomenal. And then we we jumped in and, and you know got into the nitty-gritty for for kind of our top choices. But someone to really do that legwork, oh my goodness, phenomenal. And and likewise, if you're pulling over and integrating existing contracts, you know, your existing database, we had about three thousand contracts just sitting. We had to pull them all into the system and, and that piece of work uh, was significant and we outsourced that to uh, a process, you know, I guess an LPO to to do that for us that Ironclad, you know, subcontracted with and, and kind of added on uh, as an extra. But again, if you can swing it with the budget and the resources available, huge relief to know that we we didn't have to have senior lawyers doing it kind of hand-to-hand combat, which would have been what we would have had to do if we couldn't get the budget. So that was um, that was awesome. That's such a great point because you hear so many times corporate legal departments, they want to change. They have, they've, they start interviewing vendors or for whatever it is, and then it just dies because they don't have that quarterback or the person running the running the, the process like you had for the project mm. manager. It's a very interesting piece because they've got other work to do, their day-to-day work. You, like you had your day-to-day work to do, so you couldn't be the point person throughout the whole thing. So that, that's really an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is exactly how it's turned out. The the amount of work that was already there that I, I've had to do and the amount of 
I suppose, time I've spent on this project has still been significant. And I've just had to you know how we we just expand it sometimes and we take on more and it's and it's been it's been manageable but to have that overarching project and to have knowledge of project management you know which is not something that lawyers typically are trained in and then there's real methodology behind how you go about you know doing such things and and, and also the the behavior when we now come to change management i'm i've got so much great advice from from this person on how we implement in the business and really get that, that ownership, really, really get that uh, engagement with this new piece of tech. And to be fair, we've got the right culture and everyone will be, most people will be very happy to get in and play around and to use it. I don't expect we'll have many that are irritated because, you know, it's not broken, why fix it? That's just not the culture that I have to work with, which is wonderful. Uh, But nonetheless, their insight has been game changers so that we can roll this out and really hit the ground running and and have everybody on board. As I closed out my talk with Mel, she brought up one final good point. If you are revamping your legal processes and bringing legal technology, don't forget to talk to the procurement department, especially if you're dealing with contract management. You know, when you're scaling, there can be that really big piece missing from the business, which is the procurement team or the procurement function. You, You know, we didn't have people in that role dedicated function for some time. And that's still a developing part of our business. So if I had my time again, knowing what I know now, I really would have stepped into that that place of um, contract management on behalf of the people that weren't in the roles yet. So even just a simple spreadsheet with the contract key dates, with the order renew uh, date, with you know, change of consent, some of the operational clauses that people will ask you about. If we had had that work, uh, it would have helped with with a number of kind of things. And now that the business is developing and we've got people in those roles, you know, it's it's all certainly coming together. But if I could have handed off a, a something for them to work with, I, I think that that would have been really useful. So, the mindset of, well, that's not legal, legal team doesn't manage the contracts or, or keep a, a record of of these things, that's for the, the business users, you know, that just doesn't really fly for the startup scale, right. scale up environment, because there's no one else there. So you've got to just take on bits and pieces. And that won't suit all personalities. But um, it's certainly a lesson that I've learned. So was it that you brought in procurement too late or you thought about it too late or what what about the process would you have tweaked? I think it was that central repository of when we had our register of contracts but we didn't have the data from them that we could have just taken you know three minutes every time a contract was signed to add to a spreadsheet just some key dates and you know just over time, just that would have become a really resourceful uh, or a great resource. So no one else in the business had been charged with doing that. It wasn't something that I thought to do until recently looking back going, gosh, that would have been really helpful. And there was no reason why a simple spreadsheet couldn't have filled that role. So if you were first lawyer in a a scaling company or a, a startup, whatever it is, even if you've got a couple of hundred contracts already there, like just just do it because you won't yeah. regret when you're five years down and thousands of contracts in. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, you wouldn't have you just it wasn't on your mind. It, well, you wouldn't have thought about that you know a year ago, two totally. years ago, right? Yeah, so, that's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. just one of those you know you learn by doing and. 
Yeah. Uh, hopefully someone else listening might go, oh, that's a right. really great. I'll do that. Thanks, Mel. <laughs> and they can learn from, from uh, our lessons. Mel, thanks so much for your time. If people want to find your podcast or find you, where do they go? I'm basically everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't mind. LinkedIn is fantastic. Instagram is a fun place uh, at the in-house lawyer uh, and Clubhouse at in-house lawyer. I'm loving Clubhouse at the moment. That's, that's a great way to connect. Uh, but of course, you can always just email me mel at megaport.com. That's absolutely not a problem. I'd love to elaborate or illuminate or if any, anybody has been inspired by something I've said and they want more details, absolutely reach out. Well, that's it for another edition of Technically Legal. We appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can check us out on most major podcast platforms. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cmain at precipient.co or catch me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Stay safe out there. And until next time, this has been Technically Legal.